Similar to a well-tuned automobile, a guitar requires the same level of attention to perform at its very best. No matter how expensive your guitar may be, we will treat you and your instrument with the utmost respect. Call 920-723-1733 or visit jeffsguitar.com. Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Ford Atkinson, we love guitars. The attorneys at Jingris, Thompson & Walks have had the honor of receiving numerous awards for their work both in and outside the courtroom. But just as important as receiving accolades for being skilled attorneys, it's equally important to give back to the community in which they live and work. If you want a personal attorney that can help you in so many different areas, they've got them. They're in Eau Claire, Madison, Milwaukee, and Waukesha. They're easy to reach. GTWlawyers.com. That's GTWlawyers. Welcome to another podcast at SlyOffice.com, brought to you by our friends at the Madison Teamsters and the Operating Engineers Local 139. Joining us now, John Nichols from the Capital Times and the Nation. Well, it's hard to believe. Here it is, February of 2023, and uh, people are lining up to run for President of the United States already, aside from Donald Trump. That is true, although let me just tell you, I remember, um, you know, I've been around this for a little while, uh, that Jimmy Carter started pretty early uh, in, I believe, uh, he was out there at the start of uh, 75, and it was for an interesting reason, and it would be relevant to what we're talking about with Trump. He was running in a race where, when he got in, they thought Hubert Humphrey might run, they knew a whole bunch of other people like Birch Bay, you know, folks, some folks have forgotten now, but pretty prominent Democrats. They even thought maybe Ted Kennedy would run. And so Jimmy Carter got in very early and frankly just spent a lot of time on the ground in Iowa, New Hampshire to some extent, and other states. And I think that's what you're seeing with Nikki Haley here. Nikki Haley on the surface has, you know, I would think zero chance. Uh, being the nominee on any, you know, kind of at the moment, right? Because you look at Trump and DeSantis and other prominent Democrats. But then you think, okay, well, if Nikki Haley's actually serious and goes to Iowa, which in the Republican side is still going to be very dominant, and makes a connection there, does it right? Uh, New Hampshire, again, she's got a little bit of South Carolina advantage. Um, You know, that's the theory she's working on. I think that might raise her from zero to, to 2%. Chance. Can I do a Lloyd Benson here? Yeah, it could uh, go that way. Okay. Uh, you know who I was John, John uh, yeah. I know Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter's a friend of mine. Nikki Haley is no Jimmy Carter. How's that? I give you that. <laughs> and I thought you were doing a Lloyd Benson because I think he ran that year, too. I think he did. <laughs> no, but I was going to throw in, if, if you were going to go Lloyd Benson on me, I was going to throw in Milton Schaap. Oh, Milton Schaap, sure. I even believe Terry Sanford might have run for a little while that year. The he definitely did. Governor and, of uh, North Carolina at the time. And, and future senator. Right. He definitely ran in that race, I'm, I'm quite sure. And the interesting thing is that he actually had a little period of viability, you know, where you know, he was treated as a relatively serious contender at, at for better part of a week. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's go back and trace back uh, Nikki's uh, words over the last few years. Uh, that was the Scott Hang point. on a second here. Now I'm going to have to back this up. There we go. 
I will not stop until we fight a man that chooses not to disavow the KKK. That's not who we want as president. Are you going to vote for Donald Trump? Are you going to vote for him? Donald Trump is everything I taught my children not to do in kindergarten. He has earned four more years as president. Mr. Trump has definitely contributed to what I think is just irresponsible talk. Nikki Haley has accepted the role of U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations in Donald Trump's administration. I would not run if President Trump ran. I'm Nikki Haley, and I'm running for president. How's your... So... <laughs> Uh, South, Car South Carolina has a couple people that have done that now. Oh, yeah. Lindsey I mean, Lindsey Graham's right up there in the flip-flopping. Yeah, I'm just going to tell you, Nikki Haley's good, but nobody's ever going to beat Nikki Haley's condemnations. Or I'm, Nikki Haley's pretty good, but nobody is ever going to beat Lindsey Graham's condemnations of Donald Trump. They were, you know, really exquisite. Well, I, I, I also remember Rick Perry giving an excoriation oh. of Donald Trump. I mean, yeah. it, it was, and it was actually very well written and delivered and everything. And that, well, yeah. hell, and now he's, he's, he's caught up in the scandals with the White House. It got him in the Secretary of Energy job. It you know, did. In, a, in a cabinet post, he had proposed eliminating and then <laughs> forgot. <laughs> this is, I mean, it really is starting, it's looking a little clown car here. And, you know, you played some excellent Nikki Haley clips there. No question about it. But I'm intrigued that you, you kind of, um, you didn't go deep into her uh, machinations as regards the Confederate flag. Ah, yes. She was pliable on that one, too. All over the place. It yeah. took a pretty brutal murder at a church to bring that flag down. Pretty hor a horrific. One of the worst. Yeah, yeah. One of the worst shootings ever. She is... Uh, possibly of any of the Republican candidates, prospective candidates, the most anti-labor candidate I think I've ever seen. She is. That woman hates labor unions a whole lot. Now, that's a hard, you know, that's a bold statement, Sly, because in the Republican Party, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty long list. Um, but, you but know, Donald Trump has not been, you know, yes, he did some bad things to labor, but rhetorically... You'll no. never hear him bashing labor units. Sometimes he'll do labor bosses a little bit. A little but, bit, but yeah. but pretty but mild right. compared to... No. no, Trump is... Trump actually, I think, fully recognizes, and I always say this, you know, Trump is more politically savvy um, than a lot of players on the Republican side because uh, he knows he's reaching out to a, a segment of dis satisfied, somewhat disengaged at times voters who uh, maybe don't have that negative view of unions, especially in states like Ohio and, and Michigan and Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. And so you're right. He does have a different line. Um, and also, you know, coming out of South Carolina, uh, it's not surprising that Nikki Haley is like viscerally anti-labor because I think if I'm, if my data's right, and I don't have it in front of me, but I, I believe South Carolina has the lowest level of unionization in the United States. Uh, that was by design. That did very by design. <laughs> yes, going back to going back to some historic days. And you know, and then they get help from Ron Johnson, who does his best to steer jobs to South Carolina. Well, our our uh, our Oshkosh truck jobs. Right. Yeah. Right. I know. I know. So yeah, Nikki Haley came to Wisconsin uh, during the recall on behalf yeah. of Scott Walker and. 
I organized a little protest out in front of the Sheraton by the Coliseum. And uh, the Madison police kindly asked me to step back from the hotel and go back to the line. Well, it's Sly, you can't be in there. <laughs> you just aren't going to, you are not welcome at this event. I am not welcome, but we, she did see our signs. I'm pretty sure of that. Uh, so Glenn Youngkin uh, is absolutely running for president. And you know how I know that? How do you know? Well, in this morning's Washington Post, Glenn Youngkin, the governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia, vetoed a bill that would have protect women's privacy when they use an app to track their menstrual cycles. And the legislation was to block law enforcement from being able to see these records. And Governor Youngkin vetoed that legislation. Yeah, because he's a, you know, he's... He's a moderate. Well, <laughs> supposedly. And uh, he's also one of those people who, you know, doesn't want big government. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and, and it's hard to imagine, you know, I mean, there's a lot of measures of big government, many of which I'm critical of, uh, but it's tough to imagine uh, the, the hand of government getting more ambitious than that. Well, it was, a, it was an issue in the Secretary of State's race in Illinois last year. Uh, mm -hmm. Alexi Janulius proposed that the, the, the cameras that track people's license plates, communities find criminals yeah. that way, that, oh, yeah. that that information, you know, that's actually collected by third-party vendors, that that information is never turned over to other states and sold. And uh, his opponent was, was against that legislation that would have protected people's privacy coming into Illinois to get abortions. And uh, I, I believe the legislature is now going to protect that information. So we live in an age now where privacy and protecting women's rights uh, is, should be front and center. Well, it's, and it's become very politicized. And it's interesting because many of the people who are so concerned about letting government figure out what women are doing are otherwise people who are really excited about privacy, right? And often, you know, and so you see a lot of the, um, the, the political camps shifting here and kind of showing, frankly, I think a good deal of hypocrisy, but also um, that we live in a new age. And it is so much easier um, to get data and to track people and to commercialize our lives, but also potentially to have an impact in law enforcement and other things, that um, I think, frankly, both parties really ought to have sort of a pause and effort to try and figure out, you know, where they really stand on all this. Because there's times when Democrats are, you know, on the wrong side of privacy issues as well, other issues. And so this is, this is a good one to talk about, at least, you know, and I know we're just passing over it right now. But it's a serious issue, and we ought to think a lot about um, the data that local governments and states have and whether you really want that shared with private sector or with other states or other communities. Well, speaking of invasion of privacy, then we have this the sort of, uh, I guess you could compare him to New York Governor Mario Cuomo back in the 80s. You have the, you have the DeSantis situation hanging over this race and he's kind of playing a, a rose garden strategy right now but every day he is coming up with a new proposal to go after higher education 
uh, books and in libraries. I mean, he, every day he's up to something. And Donald Trump has adjusted from Rick to Santimonia, Sanctimonious to, what does he call him now, Rick the Meatball or something like that? I think it's a reference to his, uh, it's a physical reference. Yeah. And, which is weird coming from Trump, by the way. Um, but, uh, uh, well, when you, you know, look like a Tommy Hilfiger model, like Donald Trump, you can yeah, throw those things exactly. around, right? Yeah. But no, it's, look, it, the interesting thing about Trump is I think it's working for him. I'd be very blunt with you. He is, uh, he hasn't even gone full board on this. He's, he's, he's just working around the edges on it, but this is what he does. He looks at his strongest opponent and he starts to try and deconstruct that opponent um, kind of at every turn, right, to go at him again and again, uh, looking for the ways in which to uh, get something to stick, right? And so you're going to hear a lot of stuff from Trump. You'll hear, you know, physical descriptions of DeSantis that are, you know, crude or rude or whatever. You'll hear, you'll find him find some issue, you know, something, some uh, thing they're doing in Florida that Trump thinks he can turn against uh, DeSantis. And, you know, he's, well, he's starting to do that with vaccinations. They're having a race. You know, here, the one thing Trump did in his presidency, the, yeah. the race to get the vaccine, he is now disavowed. And, of course, DeSantis was for the vaccine in the beginning, and now he's against it, and they're having a race to the bottom on vaccines. And you know what I saw yesterday? The, I assume it's coming off the DeSantis people. You don't, uh, you don't know who puts things out and puts things up. But there's a, there's a picture of an airport meeting. Uh, between Trump and DeSantis, and Trump didn't have a mask on, and DeSantis did. <laughs> oh, there we go. Right where they're going with that. So, and then we've got the pr prospect of former Vice President Mike Pence, who is now got to uh, face Jack Smith. Uh, and he, Pence is going to try to get his bona fides by resisting, testifying. You realize the problem with that, right, is, of course, that if Pence were to succeed in refusing to testify, right, and a, and a judge let him get away with that, uh, which I don't think will, but, you know, whatever, um, and then, of course, all that Smith has to do is submit Pence's book. Yeah. Pence wrote there, about all there this. There is this. I, I refusing understand. to testify about a chapter in his book. Right. Uh, that's, it's really quite, I mean, Pence is... I'm going to use the word you use, uh, tragic. Yeah. <laughs> because well, he really is a tragic figure. But you know what's really tragic about him? And, I mean, this is sort of sad. That's just going to be a long list. No, but this one stands out. That he thinks he can be president. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that one stands out because... Dan Quayle like, ran for president. Yeah, I know. I know. But I think Quayle had a lot more, you know, kind of standing... <laughs> and um, and you will recall. And there, Dan, there was a Dan Quayle vice presidential museum I'm sh in, in Indiana, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and there will maybe a Pence one down the road in another town in Indiana. But here's the interesting thing about you know Pence, right? And you're comparing with Quayle, which I think is appropriate. Our Indiana, our our, our uh, lexicon of Indiana vice presidents. But um, who did Pence call? I know. He, As a wise man, oh, yeah. <laughs> who would tell him what to do when he's in a bad situation? And who, by the way, actually got it right up to a point? And that was Dan Quayle, right? So in the hierarchy of things, I think Quayle does rise above Pence. 
Well, at that moment, you knew Dan Quayle had no further political ambitions. And Pence obviously did. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's just in, in, the, in the scheme of things here, it's kind of like if you're, I mean, let me put it this way. If you're somebody who is absolutely not going to be for Trump or DeSantis, you say, okay, well, you know, I want somebody fresh and new and somebody who can really, you know, somebody different than these guys um, and who I really believe in, you know, who I really get excited by. You think you're going to go with Pence or are you going to go with, like, Tim Scott or Nikki Haley or, you know what I mean? It's just, I think that Pence is in a terrible vice or a terrible gap, so to speak, uh, between people who really do want to kind of turn a page, even though I would agree with you it's not a big page turn, um, and, and people who want to go with sort of the, the pattern they've been on. And I just, I don't see a lane at all for Pence. Well, then we all. have the possibility of Captain Kangaroo getting in this race. I mean, John Bolton, I always get them confused. Bolton's got a mustache that cannot be beat, and, and that, that counts for a lot. I think Bolton may actually be in it, in it and nobody noticed. Um, he may already have announced. But um, then you got my favorite, and I, I personally have a favorite, and that's Mike Pompeo. Uh, because hey, Pompeo, he went on the Atkins diet. He's looking, looking like Mike Pompeo. And, but, uh, you know, I mean, he has the unique combination of being, you know, like a full-on Trump guy, right? And then also, like, you know, fully sort of packaged uh, and funded by the Koch brothers, right? Kansas. The Kansas connection. Yeah. Yeah. So, but now we just heard that the Koch brothers are going to spend a fortune to try and prevent Trump from being the nominee again. Uh, and good luck with so, that. Well, I agree. But here's the interesting question. Do you think they're going to spend it on Pompeo or are they going to spend it on somebody else? Mm, I'm guessing somebody else. But That's what I'm thinking. We're, uh, we'll see if they decide to stay with the home state boy. By the way, uh, Pompeo has gone out of his way to criticize uh, the Washington Post and others for what, what having the audacity to stand up for an American citizen who was killed by the Saudi prince. I know. I, I sort of, you know... And, and why would Pompeo be on the wrong side of that one? Why would be anybody be on Vladimir Putin's side? It's, uh, right. it's a yeah. scary thing. All right. Uh, in summation here, uh, basically you're saying is Donald Trump is still the front runner to be the Republican nominee in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in 2024. Yes, when Republicans come to the historically socialist city of Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to go watch Daniel Hone's grave to watch watch that spin over a couple well, times. You can, I'm going to watch the convention from the Hone Bridge. <laughs> Good idea. Stand by. All right, we're back. SliceOffice.com, brought to you by our friends at Madison Computer Works and Jeff's Guitar Clinic. All right, uh, so obviously President Biden had a very successful State of the Union address. He really did. Not that he didn't. Mm -hmm you know, make some some Biden mistakes. But for the most part, he really he really put the Republicans on the defense. And I am so enjoying the Rick Scott, uh, the Rick Scott, uh, Mitch McConnell feud. Let me pull this up here. I got to pull the right number up. It's this is really enjoyable. There's this. If we're fortunate enough to have the majority next year, I'll be the majority leader. I'll decide in consultation with my members what to put on the floor. 
We will not have as part of our agenda a bill that raises taxes on half of the American people and sunsets Social Security and Medicare within five years. That will not be part of a Republican Senate majority agenda. Okay, so standing behind him was Rick Scott, okay? He was Rick is the one that proposed such nonsense, yeah. right? Yep. So then we have this. Let me pull this one up here. Well, un- unfortunately, that was the Scott plan. That's not a Republican plan. That was the Rick Scott plan. There were no plans to raise taxes on half the American people or to sunset Medicare or Social Security. And it's just a bad idea. Uh, I think it will be a challenge for him to deal with this in his own re-election in Florida, a state with more elderly people than any other state in America. <laughs> I, well, really, ow, I, ow. I really enjoyed that. Ow is all I can say. Um, <laughs> and you got you're asking like, what is the root of this anger, right? I mean, what is it about Voldemort that, uh, um, that you know is is in fact? Uh, uh, Mitch McConnell, a Harry Potter fan, and you know what's going on here. And then you actually realize the root of this and what it's about. And there's only ever one thing that ever gets Mitch McConnell angry, right? Only one thing that ever gets him angry, and that's money. How money is you know, moving in politics, because that's what Mitch McConnell is all about. And remember that when Rick Scott was running the Senate campaign committee for the Republicans last year, um, what was the big controversy? Rick Scott spent his money in dumb ways and ways that many people thought were with vendors who Scott was al- aligned with and in ways that would be beneficial to Rick Scott. And I promise you, at the heart of this conflict, because remember, there's other people in the, uh, in the Senate caucus who propose bad things as regards Social Security have said even worse stuff than Rick Scott. But I think the reason Mitch McConnell's going after Rick Scott and willing to basically cut him loose in Florida uh, is because of how Scott handled the money in 2022, which was he didn't do it the way Mitch McConnell likes it done. The way Mitch McConnell likes it done is he puts somebody in charge of the committee, and then that person does exactly what Mitch McConnell tells him to do. Well, uh, here is Rick Scott on Fox the other day. How's your relationship with Senator Mitch McConnell? I work with all the Republican senators. I work with some of the Democrat senators. I'm going to work hard to represent my state. And I tell everybody, I'm going to represent the state of Florida. That's what I got elected to do. I, I mean, look, I, you can vote any way you want. I'm going to vote for the citizens of Florida. But are you guys cool with each other? Are you, are, are you talking? Well, he kicked me. He just kicked me off a committee. I mean, so that was pretty petty. Give, give the Fox interviewer credit there. Right? <laughs> did the follow-up question. Actually, you know, some of their journalists during the day are fine. Are quite, quite good. <laughs> and I'm always a defender. Um, and, uh, no, but that was, that was very good because, you know, Rick Scott, obviously in a bad situation, in a bad place. Um, He's you know, in a very I, bad place. <laughs> yeah, he tried very, very hard to avoid the question, but he ended up having to answer it. And the answer is, that he's in a bad, you know, he's, he's in tough circumstance. However, I will emphasize that, you know, my sense is that, that another complicating factor here is that McConnell and 
Trump pretty much hate one another as well. And so it'd be interesting to see what Rick Scott does as regards Trump. I would say that for Scott, you know, obviously he's in a tough position because DeSantis is expected to run as well. But for Scott, if he, if indeed Trump's the nominee and he links himself up with Trump, that may be his counter move against McConnell. But can you believe it? This is what we're talking about. But, you know, he's kind of toxic. He's a little toxic right now. You know, the question is, would Trump really want to get close to him? Well, he's going to have to. Look, Scott is ultimately going to have to change his position. And I know that's shocking to you, Sly, that a politician might, for for purposes of their reelection, change their position. But I would tell you right now, um, he's not going to run for reelection on you know, cutting or sunsetting social security. Oh, uh, you know, I think he's going to have to live with that though. That's a, he may have to live with that it. That's is a, he, he was interested in running for president himself. And, you know, it seems to me he was in some legal trouble. What, who did, oh. who did he steal funds from? Was it Medicaid or Medicare? No. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was, he is huge, huge. And, and like, you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, you know, he's, he's a very rich man uh, because he did very bad things. And he got away with it. Um, in fact, he used the money to buy himself the governorship and a Senate seat. Um, and so it's, it's interesting. Uh, his day may come, right? I mean, where Republicans uh, cut him loose. And this, this raises one other intriguing thing, by the way, one other intriguing point. Florida used to have normal senators, by the way. I know. From both parties. <laughs> Bob, Bob Martinez, Bob Graham, Lawton Shaw. Paula Hawkins. Paul, well, Paula Hawkins wasn't so normal, but she was part of the, she was part of the 80 uh, landslide. Yeah, just threw her in the mix. But she lasted pr- approximately one term. Yes, but she did. you know what I mean. They, they, Florida used to send pretty sensible, oh. uh, you know, Senator Nelson. I mean, they were all pretty, re- you know, oh, relatively I mean- rational people. Well, Graham was sort of, in this period, sort of one of the giants of the Senate. And, and so, uh, look, here's the, the, the bottom line, which I think people aren't talking about enough, but I think the moment's coming on this one. And it, I expect, I see the possibility of a primary challenge to Scott. And that that primary challenge might actually have some pretty hefty backing. Uh, it, could be, it could get very interesting. So, as we kind of wrap things up here uh it's pretty clear that president biden is running for re-election uh yeah i I do uh he came to wisconsin uh, he's got a message that goes back to you know kind of the tried and true message that democrats have tried to use over the years but he's actually got some accomplishments and some progress on manufacturing jobs and on you know Buy American. Uh, yeah. Other countries don't like that so much. Uh, he's trying to claw back some of those voters that were disaffected and went to Trump, especially in 2016. Yeah, he went. And, and look, uh, he's clearly decided that his is going to be a working class appeal. And his, his theory is it's a smart one. He's, I think, going on the assumption that he's got social liberals, right? That, that, that's he's secured that um, the Supreme Court ruling on abortion, uh, which is you know such a uh, it, it clearly has political uh, resonance uh, and it will continue on. Um, so he's got the social liberal side of this thing. His um, his goal is to get working class voters and particularly the working class voters who would be inclined to vote for a Democrat, and those are going to be younger 
working class voters, not mm-hmm. older working class voters. Members of the um, members of the trades in some cases. Well, where and so that's where he went. Right. He went to DeForest to the labor mm-hmm. hall. Yeah. That's I I actually think that the number one evidence A that that Joe Biden's running for re-election and B that he's probably going to do it right was exactly where he went on the day after the State of the Union. He was talking to young working class voters in a reasonably democratic area, right? You know, the Dane County, a big democratic heartland, um, and making sure that they are engaged and they are excited, right? And giving them and speaking to them in pretty, pretty clear, pretty blunt terms. Um, I thought, I thought that was a very smart, uh, speech that he gave in DeForest. And here's the interesting thing. I will argue that some of his themes in the speech in DeForest, which built on the State of the Union address, actually get more to the heart of the matter. Because he was talking about towns that have been abandoned, towns that, you know, families that lost family supporting jobs, and the desire to come back and build those out with the programs that have been developed. And so it was actually a pretty sophisticated message going right to the area of weakness that I think cost Hillary Clinton um, the state of Wisconsin. Well, and, you know, she gets, you know, a a good portion of the blame, and, and for good reason. It was hard for her to criticize. I frankly don't think she was ever herself a big a pro-free trade person, no. but she was saddled by her husband. And, and frankly saddled to some extent by the Obama. By Barack Obama, who yeah. introduced the TPP in an election year, which was exactly. malfeasance as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and so I think that what Biden's doing is, uh, he isn't just saying, yeah, I'm for the working class, blah, blah, blah. You know, usually that how Democrats sort of tick that box and treat the entire working class of America as some kind of special interest group. Um, what, what he's saying is um, that he recognizes the working class is, is this great mass of people. There are going to be distinctions within it. There are going to be different appeals that work in different ways. And one of the most powerful appeals is to younger working class voters, men and women, multiracial, multiethnic, um, who are coming into the workforce, right? And how are you going to take care of them? Right? How are you going to make sure they have a future? Infrastructure, investments in technology, better trade policies. That's exactly what he was talking about in DeForest. And I, I suspect some of the infrastructure projects that, that were passed in the infrastructure bill are going to be starting to come online in the next year or two. A lot of people say, well, you know, the, the improvements he's made haven't touched our lives. Well, they it's, will. They will. Uh, the, the question is, will they will? You know, will that be where people are focused in 2024? I kind of think that when you talk about Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, yeah. Michigan, and Minnesota, we should always yep. put Minnesota in that batch, that uh, it's key. And if you had any chance of clawing back Ohio, right, exactly. You're, you're hitting yeah, the Ohio right doesn't look good. But, no, it doesn't. But I'll give you, remember, Sherry Brown's running there next year. so it's, He's it's got easy. a tough race. But yeah. So here's the one thing I'll throw in the mix there, though. And just very quickly, and that is a friend of mine had a great suggestion. Um, Biden ought to declare next summer the summer of pothole filling and just take a billion out of that infrastructure thing and say that we're filling every pothole in America on every road or spring into summer there and and just be out there. Biden himself, you know, like fixing fixing little things. And, and, you know, one of the things about infrastructure, we think of, oh, that big bridge from, you know, Kentucky to Ohio and stuff like that. But 
if you want to touch everybody, right, um, you know, set up a national pothole hotline, right, that you can call a number and resources are going to be there immediately and for hiring people and stuff like that to fix roads across America. Um, Simple thing, not frankly as costly as some of the other stuff, and yet um, that's the kind of thing that it it's creative use of what they've done uh, has, to my mind, a huge possibility for for getting Biden much further along uh, than where he's at right now. Where he's at right now is is most polling shows him in roughly a tie with Trump, right? Uh, the question is, how do you get out of that you know tight race and get to something that might open up? And I do think the jobs infrastructure you know, functional economy message is is the one that clearly he's going to focus on. And actually, it's a pretty smart one. I, I, if you can get a short answer on this one, sure. how concerned are you about the change in the White House uh, and the way it's going to be operated with the new chief of staff? Yeah, I'm not really impressed with the new chief of staff. To be Progressives honest. don't seem to like him. Yeah, he just seems to come out of a kind of more of a corporate side. He's finally quite capable of getting things done. So I guess that's that's sort of the key test. I am I am concerned. I think it's always any kind of shuffle is rough unless you're shuffling to somebody stronger. Remember, they're losing the Secretary of Labor as well. Who they put in as Secretary of Labor is a very big deal um, because of the connections to uh, unions and everything else. I know who's not going to get the job. Who's not? Former Congressman Ron Kind. No, I don't see that. Uh, did you see he's going to be a lobbyist in uh, Washington, D.C.? Isn't, isn't that just a shock? Quick. No, I'm, I'm amazed and amazed that, that they would accept him. But apparently uh, they found some place of connection. Um, and no, I thought he'd was, be back there in Alaska helping the laborers. Making cookbooks. Yeah. And stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, um, no it's... Uh, if there's a former congressman who's in the running for the gig, it's Andy Levin out of Michigan, um, and they're talking about him. But they're also talking about um, Sarah Nelson uh, from the Flight Attendants Union, who's in just an incredibly effective uh, voice and very, very inspiring figure. Um, she would be the—I I can say yeah. this because this is my podcast. She would be the most attractive labor secretary ever. Well, I don't know. I'd have to look back. You know, I, I think I think Eisenhower had a pretty pretty fine fellow there. You know, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but uh, you know, it's it with with your uh, degeneration of the of the discussion here. Um, I will tell you that's that, my charm. Uh, uh, I will tell you that, in my opinion, Sarah Nelson uh, would be an incredibly effective Secretary of Labor. I think Andy Levin would be very very good because he gets it. You know what I mean? He's been an organizer like Sarah Nelson. He's coming out of out of the industries themselves and uh, and out of the the union sector itself. Uh, there's also a, a couple other folks who I think are you know pretty appealing contenders, including the acting Secretary of Labor who used to be in charge out in California. But that's an important pick for Biden. And and that's, I you know I know you were talking about the chief of staff, but um, this is one of the subtleties of this moment. Uh, two years into an administration, you do have people leave. Some of them go um, into the private sector. Some of them go to prepare the campaign for re-election, um, which I think you're going to see Ron Klain, I think, quite involved in making sure that Biden gets re-elected. Did you um, see his send-off? Oh, 
They loved him. Uh, yeah. I have never seen, I mean, it, it shows you he treated people well. Uh, there were, what do you, what do you think? There were 2000 people out there sending him off. It was, it was huge. Yeah, no, it had the, it had the feel of a movie, right? I know. You know like, and he like, was crying. He was all choked yeah. up. Yeah. It's like, it's like, uh, it's a wonderful life, right? When he, the general, he really <laughs> did an outstanding job. Yeah. And, and well, he, and, and it was hard, right? Yeah. Cause you had, you know, all the things, this incredibly narrow majority in the Senate, all these other complexities. And, he basically, I mean, you give Ron Clayton his due, and I give Biden his due as well. But the bottom line here is that Biden was able to do his State of the Union address, which you highly complimented. He was able to do his, um, you know, that very strong speech in uh, DeForest and all the other things that are kind of, you know, accruing positively to his reelection run because of what they got done. Well. And, you, they couldn't have gotten it done without Ron Klain. It, it's it's uh, of the last three Democratic presidents, you know, Carter, Clinton, Obama. Actually, uh, if you take all four, Biden's relationship with Congress and the Senate, 10 times better than his predecessors. John Nichols from the Capital Times and The Nation with us at SlyOffice.com. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. SlyOffice.com. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. I want to thank all the labor unions here in Dane County that help keep SlyOffice.com up and going so you keep up to date. Whether it be the Madison Firefighters, Local 311, or the Madison Teamsters, Local 695, or our friends at Madison Teachers Incorporated. These are some of the most active local unions who organize, 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 and constantly stand up for workers. Thank you from SlyOffice.com. When you're looking for a new computer or need help with one you already own, call 231-8000 and Madison Computer Works will get things up and running for you. Madison Computer Works, computers that work for you. 